It's been said that if you tell a man that there are 581,678,934,341 stars in the universe, he'll believe you. But if a sign says wet paint, he's got to investigate for himself. Anybody identify with that? Anybody got paint on their hand? You know, they got, is that really wet? Questions, you know, questions and skepticism are all in these days, especially when it comes to Christianity, especially when it comes to the Bible. It's becoming quite common, and even we hear it from even some who who call themselves believers and, and even pastors and, and followers of Christ who, who have been raising in the, in the last few years more and more questions and offering fewer and fewer answers. It's especially troubling when we hear questions about God's Word come from the, the Christian realm and not offer any solid answers on, on the truth from God's Word. It's becoming quite common to ask lots of questions that raise lots of doubt about the truths of God's Word and offer no real substantive answers from the Gospel. It's also become quite common to question the intelligence of those who believe the Bible. Now, it's one thing to ask questions of God's Word. We all ought to ask questions of God's Word. But the problem comes when you, when you fail to believe God's answer. When you go to the Word and you say, I'm wondering about this, God, and I wonder about what your Word says here. And, and, and you begin to read, and the more you read, the, the more the answers come, and you see the answers and you refuse to believe. When you ask a question of the Bible, do you believe or do you reject the truth? How important that we ask that of ourselves. That's a critical question because how we answer is the difference between eternal life Eternal life and the presence, the presence we enjoy of God's presence and, and God's glory or eternal damnation and separation from God and His glory. The, the answer to that question of whether we believe God's truth is, has eternal consequences. So here's a challenge for you this morning. As we come to the text this morning, you may be coming to the text of God's Word. You may be coming to the Scriptures. And you say, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in Him as Lord and Savior. But the question I ask of you, does your life show that you truly believe in His Word? When you have the answers from God's Word, do the answers change the way you live and the way you think and the way you speak? What does the evidence of your life say? I want you to go with me to John 8 this morning, and we're going to see very sadly that for the people we see in our passage today, the evidence of their unbelief was overwhelming. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 48, and I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. John 8 and verse 48. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now, for several studies, we've been listening in to this conversation between Jesus and the Jewish leaders here in chapter 8. And one common theme throughout this whole conversation has been the persistent unbelief of the Jews. There had been, of course, there was this glimmer of hope earlier in chapter 8, an indicator of belief back in verse 31. But even, even though they claimed to believe Jesus, as the conversation continues, Jesus' statements make it clear that he is God. They persist in unbelief. They persist to reject the truth he, he tells them, he gives them. And, and nothing has really changed as we arrive at verse 48 today. You can still see the, the disbelief. You can still hear the unbelief dripping from their sarcasm and, and accusatory remarks. Their, their attitude is incredible, and we can see their unbelief first there in their attitude. I want to show you their unbelief this morning and in several ways, first in their attitude and then in their actions. Their attitudes are seen in three questions they ask of Jesus, and their actions are seen in their response to Jesus' answers to those questions. And note that when they ask the questions, their tone isn't really one of inquisition. They're not inquiring because inquiring minds want to know. No, they're accusatory. We find question number one in verse 48. Look at it again with me when it says, The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Now, I want you to note something that's interesting here. The attitude here that reveals their unbelief in this statement about Jesus being a Samaritan is really one of racial superiority. They say, You are a Samaritan. Now, for a Jew to be called a Samaritan was a derogatory remark, a derogatory label. They were suggesting he was of, of mixed descent, a mixed, with a mixed race, with an apostate religion. They were also calling Jesus a heretic. Their attitude is one of spiritual superiority as well. Not only racial superiority, but spiritual superiority. They say, you have a demon. In other words, we don't, you do. You're being led by the devil, not us. You're demon-possessed. You'd have to be demon-possessed to call all our, all our beliefs into question and call our spirituality into question. 
We saw that back in verses 39 to 47 when Jesus made clear that their father was the devil and they were doing their father's work. But Jesus was no heretic. And Jesus was certainly not demon-possessed. He was, in fact, only doing what the Father required of him. He says in verse 49, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father. I honor my Father. We find question number two in verse 53. Go look at verse 53. They say, Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? You see, their attitude of unbelief here is one of superior intellect. You're not very smart. You're kind of stupid, they're saying to Jesus. How can you claim to be greater than Abraham and all the prophets? They were great. But there's something wrong with them because they're dead. Okay, They were great, but they couldn't overcome death. Now, who do you make yourself out to be? What's, what's the deal with you? Are you greater than our father Abraham, who's dead? And the prophets, they're dead too. Of course, they weren't of greater intelligence than Jesus, and they clearly are clouded in their understanding of who Jesus is. And Jesus wasn't promoting himself. He was only saying the things he'd been taught by the father. Verse 28, remember verse 28. In an earlier study, he says, I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. Question number three. Question number three is in verse 57. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus had said in verse 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now we don't know how much Abraham knew about the coming Messiah. Some think God revealed more to him than we see in the Scriptures, but we really can't say for certain how much he knew about the coming Messiah. But we can say, we do know that it had been revealed to Abraham that that God would bless the world through him, through his line, through his seed, his descendants. God would bless the world through him. So he had this hope, this assurance, this promise. So the attitude that reveals these Jewish Believe, these claim, claiming to believe in God, claiming to be God's children, the, the attitude that reveals their unbelief here is one of superior intellect. You're not very smart. We've got it, we've got a, you know, corner on the market when it comes to wisdom and you've got none of it. Alright? So the attitude is, you're not very swift. You're not very smart. You aren't even 50 yet. Abraham lived and died over 2,000 years ago. How in the world could you suggest you saw Abraham or he saw your day? Now, of course, they're disregarding any possibility of Jesus being God in human flesh. So how could they know? How could they know anything that they didn't already know about Abraham? I mean, how, how could Jesus reveal something to them or say something to them that they didn't already know about Abraham? They don't see him as God in human flesh, so he, he, there's no way he could know anything more than they already knew. Their unbelief is also seen in their actions. We've seen it in their attitudes, those three questions. And their, their attitudes just rich with sarcasm and accusation. Br- brutally, uh, uh, their, their, their questions too, some of them really devious and brutal and, and cruel. But their unbelief is also seen in in their actions or their lack thereof, the lack of their actions. In verse 49, Jesus says, look at verse 49, he says, you dishonor me. 
you dishonor me. In response to their rejection of his claims when they accused Jesus of being demon-possessed, Jesus says, you're dishonoring me. Remember these claims that Jesus made? Jesus is not promoting himself. These are made out of obedience to the Father. He's being obedient in his statements. Their unbelief is also seen in the fact that they don't keep Jesus' word. Not only do they have dishonor for him, they speak dishonoring things about him, they reject his claims, they don't keep Jesus' word. Jesus says in verse 51, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Now, keeping Jesus' word here, you might have wondered about that as you read it. Keeping Jesus' word means believing in Him. If you keep Jesus' word, it means you believe in Him. And to, to, keep his, to believe in Him means to keep His word. We saw this back in John 5 and in verse 24, an earlier study. And in our more recent study in John 8 and 24, listen to those two verses. John 5:24 Truly truly I say to you whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. That's what it means to keep his word. John 8:24 I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he you will die in your sins. That's what it is to not keep his word. But hey, don't believe in Jesus. Don't believe in Jesus. I mean, who are you, Jesus? You you don't have any intelligence. We've got the intelligence. They don't believe in Him. They certainly don't. And they don't keep His word. Their unbelief is also seen when they doubt His power. And what kind of power did did He have? He had power. He has power over life and death, right? And they doubt His power over life and death. They can't fathom how Jesus could possibly have any power over death. It's in verse 52, when after Jesus promised that those who keep his word believe in him, and whoever believes in him, right? Remember the idea, whoever keeps his word, whoever believes in him will never see death. And they say, in effect, how can that be? Abraham died. The prophets died. You're nowhere near as great as they were, and yet they died. And there's a similar thought in verse 57 when they say, you're not even yet 50 years old. Abraham, 2,000 years ago, and you've seen Abraham? How's that? You can't possibly have power over death. So they doubt his power over life and death. We also see their unbelief when they doubt Jesus' deity. They suggest Abraham is greater than Jesus. Verse 53, are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And their unbelief is revealed when their actions don't match their words. You see the the evidence against them piling up, isn't it? It's getting deep. Their unbelief revealed in in, in the fact that their actions do not match their words. Verse 54, Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me whom... You say He is our God. Jesus is challenging them here. You say God is your God. Your actions don't align with your words. It's it's implied here, but Jesus stated it very clearly in verse 40 when He said, "But, But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. 
You say you are spiritual descendants of Abraham. You say God is your God, but yet you don't do the things you say you believe. Because Abraham didn't do those things. Abraham honored God. Abraham obeyed God. You're not. Their unbelief is also seen in their disobedience to God. That's what Jesus means when He says in verse 55, but you have not known Him. I know Him. If I were to say that I did not know Him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know Him and I keep His Word. See, He knows God the Father. He keeps God the Father's Word. Jesus knows God. Jesus obeys Him. And there's this connection here that we need to make in our minds. To know God is to obey Him. I mean, you know God, so you obey Him. Jesus knew God, so He obeyed Him. They didn't know God, so they didn't obey Him. They didn't truly know God as they claimed. Whenever you see this idea of knowing God in John's Gospel, this is the connection. To know God is to obey God. Their disobedience is evidence of their unbelief. They are liars like their father, the devil. Their unbelief is also seen in verse 56. By contrast to their ancestral father, Abraham, he lived by faith in the promise that God would bless the whole world through him, through his descendants. Abraham rejoiced and was glad. Abraham didn't see the promised Messiah, but he lived by faith. Abraham rejoiced, living by faith in the promise. But verse 56 says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. He he rejoiced. He had great joy and was glad. Even in the things he couldn't put his hands on, even in the things he couldn't see, he rejoiced in the promise. Abraham lived by faith. They did not. Abraham's faith led to great joy in God's promises. Their lack of faith is also their lack of joy. Oh, I thought that'd be a lesson to us. Think about that. You lack joy? It may just be your lack of joy as a result of lack of faith in God and His promises. And if all that isn't enough evidence of their unbelief in Jesus, they also try to kill Him. Attitudes and actions. And the one action that speaks louder than almost any of the others is the fact that they try to kill Him in the end. And if as if that's not enough. Verse 59 says they picked up stones to throw at him. Now, why try to kill the one God glorifies? Because you're blind in your sin. Isn't there enough evidence for them to, to have faith in Jesus? Maybe Jesus just wasn't clear. Maybe Jesus is just not a very good communicator. That's so not true, is it? There's plenty of plenty of evidence for them to believe and have faith in Jesus. No, there, there was plenty of evidence for faith in Him. Note the evidence in favor of Jesus Christ and belief in Him. I want you to see these, these proofs of evidence. Note why they should have believed in Him and why we should believe in Him today. We ought to believe in Jesus because the Father glorifies the Son. In verses 50 and verse 54, look at verse 50. I do not seek my own glory. There is one, capital O, there is one who seeks it. God the Father. He is the judge. 
And verse 54, it is my Father who glorifies me. Why believe in Jesus Christ? Because the Father glorifies the Son. How does the Father glorify the Son? One way is seen in John chapter 6 and verse 37. We studied some time ago when Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. All that the Father gives to me, they will come to me, and they will live eternally. They will never be cast out. Eternal life is only through faith in the Son, and this glorifies the Son. Also, believe in Jesus because the Son is the I Am. The Son is the I Am. That's an important, very three letters, very important, two tiny words. I Am, says Jesus. He is from, get this, Jesus is from before the beginning. Can you understand that? Neither can I. But he is. He's from before the beginning. You know, as time as we know it, before that, Jesus is. Jesus is the I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Believe also in Jesus because Jesus holds the key to eternal life. Verse 51, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now, I noted earlier that knowing God means obedience to him. We see the same idea in keeping Jesus' word. Interesting, isn't it? The same idea in keeping Jesus' word. That's obedience. The first step of obedience, of course, is, is belief in Christ. Just as Jesus says in John 11:25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Yes, physically you will die someday, we all will, unless Christ returns before then, even so, come Lord Jesus, right? Amen? You, you okay when Jesus comes back before you die? I am too. But, Jesus says, I am the resurrection of life. You're gonna die physically, but if, if you're mine, if you put your trust in me, eternal, spiritual life, and someday, when Christ returns, new body too. Believe also in Jesus because God holds power over life and death. Jesus is God in human flesh. He holds power over life and death. There are a couple of pointers to this here. One very clear. One of them is subtle. First and obviously, we ought to we ought to believe in Jesus because those who keep Jesus' word, those who obey and believe, verse 51, will what? They will never see death. They will, later they say, what do you mean we'll never taste death? And the idea here is that they will never experience death. It doesn't mean that your body won't fall apart and die, oh me, right? Which has happened to all of us, like it or not. But it does mean you'll never taste death. You'll never know eternal death. You'll never know separation from God and God's glory for all of eternity. You'll know eternal life and bathe in the glory of God and His Son, Jesus Christ, for all of eternity. You see, God has the power, and Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, has the power over life and death. 
You will never see death if you keep my word, says Jesus. God's power is also seen in the end of our text in verse 59. Maybe you never thought about this as being evidence of God's power over life and death. And at the end of verse 59, what's happening here? Jesus had just proclaimed himself to be equal with God when he had said these profound and amazing words, when he says, the, he says, I'm the I am, before Abraham was, I am, and that enrages them. Their first instinct out of rage was that this was blasphemy against God for which they would stone him to death. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. <laughs> now, there are many ways Jesus could have dealt with this situation. And I was just thinking, if I had written this story, and if you had written this story, if, if we were in control of this story, and, and we were going to write the story of Jesus' actions here, God in human flesh, think about it. Wouldn't we do something really cool and miraculous with the stones? I mean, like, you know, turn them into boomerangs. Or what happens? You throw a stone, whack, right in the head. It's just like in the cartoons, right? But God is writing the story, right? God is writing the story. Jesus is not bringing glory to himself. He's not bringing honor to himself in that he's not promoting himself. He's obeying the Father. And God is writing the story. And Jesus is not about glorifying himself. It's not yet time for him to die at the hands of the Jewish leaders. So he simply slips away. Surrounded by people in the temple? He simply is no longer there. That's the power of God. There's no subverting the plan of the Father. So just in case all the previous reasons aren't enough for believing in Jesus, and by far, I don't think this is the most important reason for believing in Jesus, just because he could disappear from the temple when they're trying to kill him. That's not the most important reason for believing in Jesus. But if there's not enough evidence, this helps, right? I mean, that's the power of God, the power. Think about this. Just try and lay a hand on Jesus before it's time. They would lay a hand on Jesus when it was time. But this is the power over life and death. This is the power to judge, the power to save, the power to make low, the power to raise up. God glorifies the Son. This is the power of God. Just think of how God glorified the Son when it was time when Jesus was raised from the dead. Think about how God glorified the Son in His resurrection. Question this morning. Why will people not see life? That's kind of the reverse of what Jesus said. Keep my word, never, never see death. Why will there be people who never see life? Why will people not escape death? Is it because they didn't understand? Think about this. Sometimes we say, what about people on the other side of the world in the jungles who have never heard of Jesus? Will they die because they never heard of Jesus? Will people not escape death because they've never heard the truth? Is it because they, they, they don't believe? No. They'll, they'll experience death instead because they're sinners. 
Realize that? And we all deserve death. Do you, do you realize that's what God's Word says? All have sinned, right? All fall short of what? God's glory, right? None of us in our human flesh, none of us in the sinful state into which we're born glorify God. We're all sinners. That's verse 24. I told you that you would die in your sins. Why? Because, verse 34, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Why do people not see life? Because they're sinners. Because they're sinners. And there will be people who have lots of evidence, who've heard the truth, who've been preached to and challenged and encouraged to believe in the gospel and yet still turn away from the truth. These people had met Christ. They, they couldn't stone him, even though they tried. They had met Jesus in the flesh, God in the flesh. You see, Jesus is, is God's represent, representation of himself to, to mankind. Jesus came, God in human flesh, and they tried to stone him to death and later succeeded in murdering Jesus on the cross. Because then it was time. These people had met Christ, God in human flesh. They had heard the truth. They had the example of the faith from their father Abraham, who lived with great joy in the promise. But they didn't believe. And as long as they remained in their unbelief, then they would remain sinners who would never experience eternal life. But Jesus says, Truly, truly, you've seen this several times. This is important. Listen carefully. Truly, truly, some of your Bibles say, verily, verily, this is important. Everything God says in his word is important. But when you see a statement like this, it's extra emphasis. Pay attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, verse 51, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. You see the connection between obedience and life? Keeping the word and life. You know what the first step of obedience is? Faith in Christ. Trust, belief. That's the first step of obedience. And that's the step that leads to eternal life. Your obedience does not gain you a standing before Christ or God the Father. Your obedience is seen when you give your allegiance to Christ, when you say, I believe. Even if you say, help my unbelief. Right? And we all say that. I believe, help my unbelief. Right? We see in the New Testament, the man who came and said, I believe, but help my unbelief. And we struggle at times. But, but do you believe in the Son, Jesus Christ? Have you repented of your sin and turned to Jesus only for the salvation that you need Desperately. The message loud and clear for unbelievers today is believe in Jesus and never see death. 
never experience eternal suffering and separation from God, just as in John 11.25, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. See, the evidence was overwhelming that exposed the unbelief of these men, and, and for unbelievers today, the evidence against them is overwhelming still. But for those who call Jesus their Savior and Lord today, is that you? You call Jesus your Savior? Do you call Him your Lord? Does He have lordship over your life? Do you, do you long to obey Him? And even though you struggle with that, do you long to obey Him? And, and do you take steps of obedience? For those who call Jesus Savior and Lord, do you realize it's possible for you to say you believe and yet live like you don't? You, you saw all the evidence against these men who said they believed. But the evidence was stacked against them that they truly didn't. Is it possible that you say you believe in God's power to save through Jesus Christ the Son, His power to cleanse from sin, and you say you wish to glorify Him with your life, and yet your actions don't align with your words? You say one thing and you do another. You show your unbelief in your actions or lack thereof. You have an attitude of racial superiority or spiritual superiority or intellectual superiority or you fail to keep Jesus' word or you show you don't believe His words by not obeying them. You doubt His power. You lack faith and you lack joy. And that joy should be yours because you're His. Because your faith in Him and you, and you live in His Word, and His Word lives in you. That could be you and me today. You realize that? Even though we say we believe in the Son, the Son that gives eternal life, I think, and I think it's because at times we think the freedom found in Christ is only ours in eternity. You ever catch yourself thinking that way? Well, one day... One day I'll be done with sin. You know, I just keep struggling with this one sin. I've done pretty good in other areas. This one thing I'm still struggling with. And I just know I'll never have victory over that one sin. Hogwash. Right? You've got the Spirit in you. And you can have victory over sin in this life. Please don't hear me suggest that you're going to be sinless in this life. I'd like to meet that person. We all would. Right? That's not going to happen. But can we conquer sin and the power of Christ at work in us through the power of the Spirit and His Word because we've been washed by the blood? Is the blood of Jesus Christ not sufficient to help us overcome our sins today? It is, isn't it? And so it's not just out there that eternal life. It begins now when we truly trust in Jesus Christ and put our hope and faith in Him and then we abide by His Word. We obey God's commands. You see, obedience leads to great joy. Obedience and faith lead to great joy. We see it in the life of Abraham here. Just a little hint in our passage. He had great joy. He was exceedingly glad. Because he hoped in the promise. He was obedient. He honored God. Remember Jesus' words in verse 52. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. If you are not a follower of Christ today, that means to keep his word, you must put your faith 
in Jesus and in Jesus alone. You need to repent that, yes, God, I am a sinner, and I realize Jesus paid the price for my sin, and I trust him only for the forgiveness of my sin. That's what it means for you to 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 keep his word. But so for those of us who are followers of Christ, those of you who said, you know, years ago I trusted in Christ and I've been growing. But, you know, sometimes I struggle. You keep his word. When you keep his word, it doesn't mean that you fail to keep or earn eternal life. You have eternal life because you you have faith in the Son. But obedience to the word brings life today as we obey and experience great joy and peace and hope because he comforts beyond beyond our imagination. Jesus Christ is the I am. The I am of yesterday. Remember yesterday's sins? Jesus Christ paid for those. He's the I am of today. If you've sinned today, and I'm guessing we all have probably, and we're going to sin later today probably. He's the the I am of today's sins. He's paid for those. And he's the I am of all your tomorrows. Jesus paid the price for your sin and mine. And the evidence for that truth and the evidence for why we ought to believe in him is overwhelming. So if you keep his word, if you've placed your faith in him, for the cleansing and forgiveness from sin and for eternal life, then life in Christ is yours now. It's not just an eternal thing, which we can hardly even fathom. We can hardly even quantify. It's so far out of our understanding that eternal life in the glory of God, in, in, in resident in the glory of God, in His, we, there won't be a sun, moon, or stars because God won't need them. He'll be the light. It just baffles our minds and kind of gives us this, this thing that kind of boggles our understanding of what's to come. But, but you realize that it's not just then, it's now too. Life is ours today when we put our hope and trust and faith in the Son. You keep God's Word. You keep your hope in His promises and trust in His promises. You take steps of daily obedience so that your life will honor God. That's what Jesus did. You see, Jesus didn't need to earn sonship by his obedience. He took steps of obedience on earth to honor the Father. And you know what the Father did? The Father honored the Son. And gave him all, all, all he gave him came to him in faith, come to him in faith, will come to him in faith, raised him from the dead, gives new life to those who believe in him. That life is yours now. And if it's not yours now, you can make it yours now if you'll bow your heads with us. Would you bow your head with me? Would you bow your heads with me for a, a word of prayer as we finish here and, and then sing a song? If you're not a follower of Christ, do you know you can trust Him right now in faith? Repent of sin. Go, go to God in prayer right now and tell Him that you know you're a sinner and that you do believe in Jesus Christ, His Son, and that you know he'll, he'll wash you clean, wash you pure, washed by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And you will have kept his word that saves you from eternal separation from God. But you're not done. You take steps of obedience. 
But it begins with that first step of obedience, trusting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You can do that now as I pray. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning so thankful for the the power of your word to help us to live the way we should, to do the things we should, to to say the things we should, to to think the things we should. We're so thankful for your word that works in us when we yield to it and the power of your spirit that you've given us when we trust in you. Father, I pray that you would help us to live live the new life you've given us even now, not waiting for some day when, when we'll be fully like Christ. We know, we understand that, that through the, power, the work of sanctification in us, you long to make us more and more like your Son every day as we take steps of obedience as, as your children. So Lord, I pray, help your children, help us, to honor and glorify you. And we and we take great hope and joy and and rest and comfort in, in knowing in knowing the promise that, that joy is ours, peace is ours, because we, we honor you, because you work your peace in us through the power of your spirit as we take steps of obedience. God, I pray for unbelievers this morning, who for them the, the evidence is overwhelming that they should believe in Jesus Christ. God, I pray. Lower the veil. Shine light into the darkness of their heart. Help them see and understand the truth that Jesus Christ saves and saves completely. And they need to keep keep Jesus' word by putting their trust and faith in Him. And then you will help them keep His word by obedience. Father, I thank you for the privileges of gathering this morning and, and for our time in your word. And I pray that you would take these truths and work them deep into our hearts and lives in the week ahead and help us to honor and glorify you with everything that we do, everything that we say, our thoughts, our conduct, our speech. Lord, that you would make our lives, lives of, 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 bright, shining examples of of your miraculous work in sinners. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.